This week we begin a new series that we are calling UnChristian. Now, it's been 26 years since I became a pastor. My first call was to St. Andrews in Park Ridge, Illinois. And over those 26 years, I've seen two pretty huge shifts in how the world around sees the church and sees me as a pastor. When I first started there in Park Ridge, Illinois, um, I was seen by the community leaders as a potential asset to the community. Uh, I was respected because I was a pastor. Even before they met me, they wanted to meet the new pastor, and there was a certain, as I said, level of respect there. They wanted to know what I thought about things. They thought I might actually have a, an opinion to share that might be helpful to the community. Now, fast forward about 10 years, and one of the things I noticed over my first 10 years as a pastor is that that attitude to the community had kind of changed. Um, no longer did they see pastors as necessarily an asset to the community. They, they didn't see them in a negative light. Honestly, they just didn't think they were relevant. I, I didn't uh, get the same opportunities to kind of speak into the life of the community. It just didn't occur to people that a pastor might have something helpful to say. Now, fast forward another 10 years, maybe to the last five or six years. One of the things I've noticed now is that there's actually a sense of suspicion toward, toward the church and pastors. Um, when I do interact with community leaders, there's kind of a, what do you really want? What's your ulterior motive? I remember one time I went to meet with a couple local mayors and my goal is to simply say, how can we help as a, as a church? What can we do to help this community? And instantly there was a sense of, what do you really want? Why, why are you really doing this? There was some suspicion. Um, and I, I think in general, there's a sense that people who are Christians uh, just may be a little bit clueless. They may be just a little bit off. It's been a huge change. And, uh, and we see that, by the way, also in the way people talk about Christians. If you ask people to describe Christians with one word, you get things like judgmental or rigid, political, insensitive, old-fashioned, boring, things like that. But interestingly enough, if you ask those same people to use one word to describe Jesus, they will say things like moral or hopeful, caring, inclusive, loving, interesting. They use very positive words to describe Jesus. Now, obviously, there's something wrong there, isn't there? If, if we as the followers of Jesus, we as people here at Trinity that say our goal is to look, live, and love more like Jesus, are seen very differently by the world around us than people see Jesus, that's a problem. We have to do something about that. And so that's really why we're doing this series. Over these next four weeks, we're going to talk about four words that are often used to describe Christians. Judgmental, hypocritical, insincere, and this week, irrelevant. We're going to talk about those words and what we as Christians can do to, first of all, own our part of that problem. But second of all, to, to change that perception so that we truly can not only be more like Jesus in how we behave, but be seen as more like Jesus by the world around us. Now, um, would you bow your heads and would you pray with me as we begin the message today? Lord, I pray that the words I'm about to speak and the thoughts that we think as we meditate on your word together, Lord, I pray that that would all be truly acceptable in your sight, O God, who is our rock and our redeemer and who calls us to make a difference in the world around us. Amen. A number of years ago, when um, I used to be part of the confirmation instruction process here at Trinity, uh, at the beginning of the year, we would meet with potential confirmation parents, and we would ask them this question. We would say, you know, what's your greatest desire for your kids? As you look to your kids' future, what's your greatest 
desire for them? And we got lots of different answers. We got people saying, well, I just want my kids to be happy. I want my kids to be successful. Um, I want my kids to be a follower of Jesus. You know, we got, got lots of different answers. But here's my question for you today. What if we ask God that question? What if we ask our heavenly Father that question? What, what's his greatest dream, his greatest wish uh, for his children, for us? Well, I think we'd find pretty quickly that uh, he's got a plan for our lives, that he wants us to thrive. He wants to see good things happen in our lives. He wants what's best for us. In fact, Jesus one time said that he had come into this world that we might have life in all its fullness. That's God's plan for us. And in Isaiah chapter 58, we see God, that, that he's, he's very upset. He's, he's, um, he's, he's grieved over the fact that there's so much happening in the lives of his people that is getting in the way of people having that full life. As we read through Isaiah chapter 58, we see that there are problems like oppression and hunger and homelessness and poverty and affliction. And, and God is calling these things out as, as barriers to people having the full life that he planned for them, that he created them for. And those things still affect us today, don't we? I mean, let's think for a minute about hunger. It's a real problem in our world. Did you know that there are four countries that produce the most food by far of any other countries in the world? And the United States is one of them. Do you know what the other three are? Well, they're, they're India and China and Brazil. The U.S., India, China, and Brazil. Now, by some estimates, those four countries alone make enough food to feed the world five times over in any given year. The United States alone, it's estimated, could feed up to 10 billion people a year, far more than the population of the world today. So if that's true, then why is it that some people go hungry? Why is it that, that, that there are people that today, as you're hearing this message, that tonight when they go to bed, they will go to bed with, with, with hunger? Well, there's all kinds of things that get in the way of that food that's produced getting to the people that need it. The, 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 the supply chain is, is broken in our world and there are political factors and economic factors that get in the way of that. There are even in cities in our country, there are what they call food deserts, places where uh, there are no grocery stores and, and, and it's tough for someone to actually be able to just go get food even here in our country. Hunger is definitely something that, that grieves our God when he sees the people that he created going without the food that he's provided for them. And by the way, studies are telling us that this pandemic we're in right now is only going to make it worse. As this pandemic goes on longer and longer, the problem of hunger is going to get worse and worse in our world. Another one that God mentions in Isaiah 58 is this idea of oppression. And uh, um, we, we may think here in our country that because we've done away with segregation, because there are, there are, there's no more segregated schools or, or segregated places to eat or you know certain people sit in the front of the bus and others in the back, we may think because that, those, that's changed, that there isn't oppression in our country. But in, in recent weeks and months, we've learned that that's just not the case, isn't it? We've heard things like uh, systemic racism or economic racism. We've heard how there are a, a few people in our country that control a huge amount of the wealth, and, and sometimes that's determined based on the color of your skin. 
Uh, we've heard that uh, there is pay inequality in the workplace. Uh, that not only is there pay inequality between men and women, but uh, between uh, men and women of color. We've heard this term systemic racism, and um, just recently I heard a definition of it that, that was troubling for me, but it actually helped me understand the problem even more. Um, they said systemic racism is when there's a system in place that benefits one group of people over another. And now here's the kind of insidious thing to that. And, and the fact is most of the people in that group that are benefiting didn't set that system up, so they don't really feel a sense of uh, guilt or responsibility for that broken system. And, uh, and they may even be unaware that that system even exists, but they're benefiting from it. Folks, systemic racism is a problem in our country. And, um, and that is just, again, one of those things on that list, oppression and hunger and homelessness and poverty and, and affliction that grieve the heart of our God. When he looks at our world today, when he looks at our nation he, he sees that there are these, these factors, just like there were back in Isaiah's day, that are getting in the way of people having all that God wants for them to be. Now, in Isaiah 58, God calls out his people as, as part of the problem. Uh, Isaiah 58, uh, the prophet is told this. He says, tell my people what they have done against their God. In other words, God says whenever we allow these conditions to exist for other people, it's as if we're doing them against our God. He says this. He says, you as my people, you, you come every day looking for me and you want to learn my ways and you ask me to judge you fairly and you want God, he says, you want me as your God to be near you. He says, but... When it comes right down to it, when you look at what you do, you're doing what pleases yourselves. We all know that we're all sinners. And, and sin at its heart is selfishness. It's a, it's a focus on ourself rather than the needs of others. God specifically criticized their worship. He says, you, you, you have these kind of special days, these worship days, these fasts, these, these festivals, these feasts. And, uh, and he says, but it's, that's not the kind, the way I want my people to be sorry for what they've done. You know, you say, yeah, we, we get it. We're not all that we can be. We're sinners and we're sorry, God. And, and we, he says, you come to me and, and, and you repent. He says, but, but here's the problem. He says, I don't want you to just bow your heads and wear rough cloth and lie in ashes to show your sadness. These were uh, things that were typically done as a part of their festival days, their, their days of, of mourning and sorrow for their sin. He says, you know, you do these things and, uh, and you think that, that in and of themselves, that's what I want you to do. He says, but that's not what I want you to do. I don't want you to hang your heads and, and beat yourselves up about your sin. He says, here's what I want you to do. He says, I'll tell you the kind of fast that I want. Free the people you put in prison unfairly. Bring poor homeless people into your homes. Share your food with the hungry. In other words, God says what he wants us to do. If we are sorry for our role in the brokenness in the world around us, he says, what I want you to do, he says, I want you to do something about it. I don't want you to be irrelevant in the world, which is how many people view Christians today. And then he says something really interesting. He says this, when you do that, he says, then your light will shine like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. Your God will walk before you and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. 
He says, when we seek to do something about things like oppression and uh, injustice and hunger and homelessness and poverty, he says, when we seek to do things like that, then he says, notice, you will quickly heal and God is going to lead you and God is going to protect you from behind. He's going to support you and encourage you. He's going to help you be all you can be as his people. Folks, we have to be honest. The world often sees us as irrelevant to the problems that face life every day. And we have, to, we have to take a look in the mirror. We have to take a hard look in the mirror, each and every one of us, and say, you know, what is it that I could be doing? What, what, where have I failed? Where have I dropped the ball in trying to help with these problems in the world? The reason people in the world feel that Christians are often irrelevant for the big problems in the world is because we have been irrelevant. And, and each of us needs uh, to, to look in the mirror and examine ourselves and see, what, what could I have done? What can I do? We have to be willing to speak up. I think all too often Christians um, think that, that we don't have a role in speaking up against oppression and racism and, and poverty and homelessness, that, that, that somehow that's not our job to do. But we, God says, need to be people that speak up when we see anything that keeps people from living the lives that he has called us to live. And, and finally, we need to do something. Now, I, I want to tell you how proud I am of our church family because we are a church family that does something. I don't know if you're aware of this, but one of the things that's happened during this, these last months of this pandemic is a group of folks from Trinity have used this time to create a garden at, uh, at our Tim, Trinity Kimberly Way site. And all the proceeds from that garden are going to feed those that are hungry in the community around us. Uh, the harvest is just starting. We've got uh, 32 pounds of food that have already been donated, and there's going to be much, much more as the, we proceed into the fall. We, as God's family, are doing something. Or you may have noticed a little bit ago that, that we've partnered with the, uh, no, with the Northern Illinois Food Pantry. And uh, with that food bank, we are working to try to solve that problem of, of hunger in our community. To try to reach people that are struggling to have food during this very difficult time. Our church family is doing something. And, and you can get involved as well. You can be proud of the fact that you're part of a church family that is seeking to confront the issues that grieve God's heart in the world around us. We're seeking to be relevant, and you can get involved and be a part of that as well. And then we have this promise. When we do that, God promises, our light will shine like the dawn. In other words, people will not see the church as irrelevant anymore when they see what we as Christians do to confront the problems facing people's lives around us. When they see that we're not just sitting back in a church somewhere uh, singing hymns, we're actually out in the community making a difference in the name of Jesus. Our light will break forth like the dawn, God says. You know, it's, it's kind of a, a trite phrase, maybe. You've maybe heard it before. But, uh, but what it says is people will not... Um, will not care what you know unless they know that you care. When we, in the name of Jesus, make a difference in the world around us, when we seek to confront oppression, when we seek uh, to help solve the problem of homelessness and poverty and hunger, when we do those things, then people are going to be curious as to why we're doing them. 
when they see that we care, that we aren't irrelevant, then what we know that there's a God and that that God loves us and he sent Jesus to rescue the world from sin and death and one day Jesus is going to come again in glory and wipe away all of those problems that face human beings. That's what we know and we want others to know that too. And when they see that we care, they will care what we know. I pray that God blesses you as you take some time this week to, to, to examine yourself and say, what, what can I do to be relevant for the problems that are facing people in the world around me today. And that through the power of the Holy Spirit and as a part of God's family, you would roll up your sleeves and help us make a difference in this world. Amen.